This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast, and today I am excited to welcome Dr. Morgan Francis. She is a licensed professional counselor with a doctoral degree in clinical psychology. And guys, buckle in because not only is she a firecracker, but she serves up some truth bombs like I have never heard before. She specializes in treating body image and eating disorders and even shares her powerful story about the body image challenges that she had when she was younger before specializing in this area. In this interview, you will learn what body image really even is and how it's different or is it the same as self-esteem. You'll also learn what it means to have body trust and learn to be in tune with yourself in an intuitive way. So many practical tips, so many awesome one-liners from Dr. Morgan, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Morgan, thank you so much for being here today. I've been looking forward to our conversation. I know we've both been working really hard to make our schedules overlap to make this happen. And I just feel like you've got such valuable perspective, knowledge, and expertise to offer my audience. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate your flexibility as well. And I'm really honored to be um, here with you this morning. So thank you. Oh, thank you. So I'm, first of all, for those who may not know you or be familiar with you in the audience, could you share a little bit about how you got into, I guess, like the field of psychology and becoming a psychologist, but then also um, specializing with intuitive eating, body image, eating disorders, those types of things? Absolutely. So I'm a licensed uh, mental health therapist here in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I have a background a degree in clinical psychology with my doctorate. So I moved out to Arizona to pursue my doctorate in clinical psychology. And while I was here, I worked at a private practice uh, called Psychological Counseling Services, where I specialized and founded my niche in body image. But my original population that I was serving was actually men that were struggling with sexual compulsivity. So I was working with them around masculinity and body image. And then I would also work with their partners if they were being affected with infidelity. And many of the women um, blamed their bodies as a reason that their husbands were unfaithful, Hmm. um, which is actually not true. We know that um, even proven through research that um, a beauty is not an antidote to infidelity, that a reason, um, there are many reasons why there's infidelity, um, and it's not to blame a woman's shape um, or size for those reasons. And then my work moved on to body image for women. And um, with that um, came exploring our relationship with food. And so I'm not a registered dietitian or a nutritionist. So I never tell people what to eat or what not to eat. I do explore their relationship with their bodies, their body image. How I define it is your attitudes, your thoughts, your feelings, your behavior related to your appearance from um, your head all the way down to your toes. And, and we all have different experiences that have shaped us um, with our relationship with our body. And so that's what I explore with individuals today. 
It's such an interesting conversation and something that I feel like has been made way more mainstream and kind of relevant with this whole body positive movement and this kind of revolt against this culture, I guess, that really wants to control how we should look and feel about ourselves. So I'm just so interested to kind of break open to this. Like, what are the influences on us that like develop and shape our body image throughout our like development and young adulthood? Yeah. So what we're seeing through research is that there's obviously, you know, societal influences. So we know this from when we look at small countries or um, people outside of Western, you know, American culture, um, when they have not been exposed to any, um, uh, you know, TV or um, uh, graphics on body shape and size, they are embracing their bodies. But when we've had countries that are exposed to beauty pageants or images uh, on media that are depicting smaller shape um, or thinner size women, we now see a change in that population's eating habits and how they treat their bodies. So we definitely know that it's that that there is a societal um, influence on. Uh, body image. And then there's also, uh, you know, a family influence. So um, comments, um, things said to children um, at an early age, maybe from parents or coaches or grandparents, siblings, teachers. Um, And so we'll see those um, reasons of why people struggle with their relationship with their body. And then there's genetic influences. There's things that are just out of our control. Um, And what I always say is, you know, those influences, you know, people, you you didn't, you didn't earn your beauty. You know, there's nothing that when people are born um, with, you know, certain bone structure, um, they didn't earn that. That was just given to them. And yet we compliment them. We say, you know, you're so beautiful. And then the response is usually thank you. And they didn't do anything to earn it. And so those external influences um, can be really cause a lot of difficulty for people that have been told they're beautiful their entire life as they age. And so that's also an area that I, I work with women on the aging process, because that can really shift um, their ego and really rupture um, their ego because they have a- attached so much of them, their sense of their self-worth to their beauty. Hmm. So interesting. And I'm like learning some of the language that comes along with this field and population and all of that is that like some people just are born into bigger bodies, right? Like And Mm -hmm. they go through unhealthy lengths or diets, or we may touch on some of that, in order to try and change their body and what's healthy for them to strive after these images that are just sort of made to be acceptable. Absolutely. So there's, you know, there's a whole genetic component for people as well that are in larger shape size bodies um, that has nothing to do with their relationship with food. And yet we associate that people in larger shape or size bodies have this, you know, insatiable appetite and they can't just, they just can't stop eating. And we associate really negative, um, hurtful, um, you know, judgmental um, thoughts about them. And, and, and that's where diet culture comes in because diet culture, puts thinner bodies on a moral platform or a moral pedestal. So we think of people in smaller shape, size, or bodies or fit looking bodies as morally superior to those that are not. And so we will listen to them. We will take advice from them. I mean, I see it all the time on Instagram, these, you know, thin, beautiful white women that are selling these products and they're not experts. They're not doctors. They're not registered dietitians. And yet they're making millions off of selling these products because they're selling a dream and a fantasy for those of us who want to look like them, because we associate, you know, all these positive things happening to us when we are in a thinner shape, size or body. And that's what like gets validated by people. Oh, absolutely. This is, I see these like, these posts and comments on Facebook all the time or Instagram, like, oh, you lost weight or you're back to being, you're, you're getting your body back after baby. And, Mm -hmm. and those comments, they praise them for losing weight and all of that. Men, meanwhile, they may be really sick or they may be going through postpartum anxiety and they haven't eaten or slept. And that's why they're losing weight or the slew of other reasons that they may be dropping away, but then it starts to get praised by other people because their appearance is changing. 
Absolutely. It's, it's, we never know what someone's going through and we automatically associate weight loss with success and achievement. And so we congratulate them. And like you mentioned, there could be a whole host of reasons that a person is, has lost weight that has nothing to do with good news. Um, it, you know, it could be death. It could be a divorce. It could be stress. It could be a, a chronic health issue. It could be an eating disorder. Um, and so I know for myself, that's definitely something that I experienced. I, um, and I'm very open about this. Um, so I had suffered an eating disorder, um, and I got, I went into treatment when I was in college, but I, before I went into treatment, um, I came back home, um, and I got so much praise because I had lost a significant amount of weight Well, I was living on nothing, um, purposefully. I mean, that was, I wanted to lose weight. I was, I was deathly afraid of, of gaining the freshman 15. Um, but I ended up losing more than 15 and then some, and then it became something where I was completely obsessed with, you know, what am I going to eat and how am I going to get rid of it? And, um, I got all this praise from, from family members, from friends, from, I remember walking back into my high school and one of my teachers saying, Oh my gosh, you look so good. I've never seen you look better. And I was completely, you know, malnourished, restricting, um, not in a good place emotionally, mentally. Um, my relationship with my boyfriend was falling apart. Um, and yet everyone thought that my life was great. And so it, that's, I think for me, a, a, like, you know, a, a very real example that I personally experienced when, you know, my weight loss was was not associated with, with doing well in my life at that time. Right. And then you start to take care of yourself and not restrict and, and find a balance of some kind for your body or where your body wants to sit in terms of weight. And then the comments stop coming. Right. And then women like, like what kind of message is that sending to people, you know? Exactly. It's a, it's a very destructive message. And, um, and for me, when I, I moved from, you know, starving and restricting to binging because I was so deprived. And then I got into a horrible uh, place where I was binging on food because I was so afraid it was going to be taken away from me um, because that's the, the anorexia part of my brain. Right. So, um, you know, withdrawing or restricting. And so, yes. So my weight then fluctuated between, you know, um, up and down, up and down, and the, this whole yo-yo, you know, look and dieting, and it was, it was, I wasn't getting the compliments anymore. But that's where, if we allow ourselves to have our ego attached to our body weight, shape, and size, and to our beauty, then those comments are like air for us, right? So we search for those comments. The external validation is is how we measure our self worth. And so what I teach a lot of my patients is that your self-concept or who you are has to be more than just your body. It has to go into your moral, your character development, your spirituality, your faith, your relationships with others, um, your, your competencies in many areas, not just with your body shape and size. And so helping the individuals to expand their self-concept um, is really critical when we're repairing the body image. Hmm. You come out with these one-liners that stick with me, like on Instagram. <laughs> I, like I, I repeat it to myself all the time. One of it was, "Fat is not a feeling." Like, what are you actually yeah. feeling? And I was like, "Man, yeah. I say that to myself all the time. Like, I feel fat. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm postpartum, mm-hmm. and you know, my body is different, and all that. Like, what does that even mean? Like, how do you feel fat? Fat is not a feeling, and it just like made so much sense to me. How? Maybe you can speak a little bit to this because I know that they're different, but how do they kind of relate? Is um, body image and self esteem? How would you distinguish the two, and and how would you kind of define them? Well, self esteem is based on our external attributes. So self-esteem is really predominant in Western culture. So we'll see it like how well you did maybe on an exam, how well you did in that uh, meeting with your boss, as far as were you able to nail the, the like the deal, um, how well you perform in sports. So it's, it's all about external. And so what happens then is our body image, we think of body image as an external um, you know, factor, meaning we, we base it upon how we look, but that's not truly how we heal our body image. Body image is not healed from the outside in it's healed from the inside out. 
So many people think, well, in order for me to love myself, I've got to get into a smaller shape or size. And, and we know that's not true because anorexia tells us it's not true. And people who have struggled with anorexia are some of the most miserable people ever because I've worked with them and I was one of right. them. So we can associate it, but that's what society tells us. So it's a very confusing messages. So really what we have to move away from is self-esteem because it's, it's not, has nothing to do with our internal worth and move towards um, self-compassion and self-compassion is the internal work to know that you are enough, regardless of what your body shape and size is, regardless if you earn so much money, regardless of what car you drive, regardless of what purse you're carrying, you know, regardless of any external things, you are worthy because you are you and God made you and he was, per- and you are perfect in his eyes. And to do the internal work of knowing that you are good enough, right? And so that's what, you know, Brene Brown, I'm sure you've heard of her. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. yes, exactly. So a lot of her, her research is based on that. So shame for women um, is on three factors. First and foremost is body image. So are you thin enough? So it's, you know, we're, we're, our shame is in our appearance. Second is motherhood. And you don't even have to be a mom in order to be shamed about motherhood because the question always is, when are you going to have a baby? And then the third one is, are you perceived as being nice? You know, God forbid we are, you know, I don't know, abrasive, bitchy, uh, having a bad day, you know, not people pleasing. So we, you know, for, for shame, we have to be perceived as nice and likable. So those are the areas that women receive the most shame from society. That's one of the reasons I have started this podcast to begin with is that like motherhood piece. And and now I feel like partially thanks to you and some of our interactions and I did not even know intuitive eating was a thing and I'm not – I feel like eating disorders is one of those clinical things that you need specialized training in, right? Like, and I'm not by any means an expert and I don't – like that's not my clientele that I work with. I don't have personal experience with it. So in getting to know you a little bit and following your stuff, it's opened up this whole new world to me of body image, relationship with movement, relationship with food. And again, those one-liners like healing starts from the inside out, not the outside in. And maybe you can speak to this actually. It's coming back up. I was thinking about it earlier. Is like how – I feel like the way that people are obsessed with health and wellness right now, and I see even like practitioners and just lots of lots of different people who are doing fitness shows, let's say, or like such extremes on their body in terms of exercise and dieting. At what point do we know what behavior is like kind of eating disorder territory? And, and like how does somebody know? How do they know if they have an eating disorder? Oh, this is such a good question. <laughs> okay. So in, in my field, we have we, we use what's called the Diagnostic Statistic Manual to diagnose someone with an eating disorder. And there's certain um, symptoms that they have to you know, meet. So right now there's you know, anorexia nervosa, there's bulimia nervosa, there's binge eating disorder, and there's eating disorder um, NOS or not other, otherwise specified. But what we're seeing is that there's a whole host of other things that are clearly um, disordered eating, but don't make the criteria or don't meet the criteria for eating disorders. Right, so what I was right. yeah, exactly. And that's the point you're making, like, Hey, right. how do we know? Um, and so, you know, as, as a clinician, it's my job. It's to be really current on the things that may not live in the DSM, you know, and that doesn't mean that a person's not suffering. So the orthorexia, I think is what you're kind of describing. And orthorexia is, is not a term that's in the DSM, but it's an obsession with, with health and fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, and really it's a, it's the same kind of like obsessive compulsive, you know, so um, uh, OCD, but around health and fitness and wellness. And so you'll see a person really put their bodies through grueling regimens or they will only cleanse. Um, they forbid themselves to eat um, certain foods claiming they have allergies, which they may or may not really have, um, you know, it, because it hasn't been actually you know, medically tested. And we all have allergies. I mean, that's just, you know, who doesn't nowadays? Um, so it's an obsessive 
So they're always thinking about it. Obsession is the, is the thoughts. And then compulsion is the behavior, the repetitive behavior that happens. And so, yes, I mean, it's, it is, it's, it's, it's hard to navigate. And, and then, you know, there's another one um, that, you know, originally was diagnosed with just children, but now we're seeing it more and more in females, um, adult females, which is called ARFID. And it's basically when a person is eating and they really have like this physical um, reaction to food and um, they get nauseous and um, it's this physiological response. And you'll, you'll think of a child as a, as a picky eater, but really there's, you know, this, they can't eat. It doesn't feel good for them to eat. Um, and then I'll, I'll see that oftentimes with women, like they will have um, horrific IBS or they feel like they're going to gag if they eat anything um, that's not like certain specific foods. And so their whole, um, you know, daily functioning is based on these specific foods that they only allow themselves to eat. And, and typically it's related to having some type of childhood trauma that shows up in the body's reaction um, when they're eating. Hmm. That's so interesting. And I feel like we have this very stereotypical sort of, or maybe like old idea of what eating disorders look like, right? People are either just completely restricting and starving themselves and, and getting very thin, um, but they don't realize like obsession with health or these, like you said, obsessive or compulsive behaviors or um, relationship to movement in, in the sense of putting all of our other hobbies and things that we value and are passionate about aside to grind it out at the gym for two hours a day or two mm -hmm. times a day or, um, yeah, like relationship to movement I'm learning more about as well. Can you speak a little bit about that and how it can look healthy and unhealthy? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of pressure to get back into the gym, especially after having a, a baby and postpartum and, um, I know for myself, like, you know, I, I have three children. I had three children in three years. So I was extremely sleep deprived and I was nursing and trying to work and just, you know, keep my head above water. And yet then I would, you know, throw myself into the gym and expect to have like, you know, a really intense workout. And when my body weight wasn't shifting or I wasn't losing weight, um, it's very easy for us to beat ourselves up and think, you know, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I just drop the weight? Because we see, you know, maybe women on covers of magazines or talking about how quickly they've lost weight, but you know, those women have a whole team helping them. So they have a, a night nanny, they have a chef, they have, um, you know, a, a fashion, you know, stylist, they, they have a personal trainer, they have the ability to have the luxury and the privilege to, um, you know, lose weight, you know, but when we're stressed, you know, it's very hard as moms um, to, you know, have the weight come off in a, a quick way because we have these expectations that it should. Um, and so one of the things I really worked on, especially after my third child was to not put that pressure on myself to notice it. And then the moment that it came up in my, in my thoughts or in my head, I would practice the self-compassion. So if a friend of mine would, would say those things, like how would I respond to her? And I would validate and I would be kind and I would be understanding and I would be a great cheerleader for her. And so that's what I really practiced saying to myself and honoring what my body really just did for me. I mean, which is gave life and I never lost my body. You know, it's not like I had to get my body back. You know, that's not that whole saying like, you know, get your body back after you've had a baby. My baby, my body never went anywhere. In fact, mm. it, it, it elevated it, it, you know, it, it elevated up because it gave birth. It gave right, life. Right. So if anything is the opposite, my body's been with me and then some and has provided life. So it was not, you know, just being able to really shift the mindset around, the gym and, and what my expectations were and just be much more kind to myself, I think was a huge piece. And I think it's so important for women postpartum. Yeah. It's so good to just stop and acknowledge like what your body has just done, you know, and yeah. then we open up Instagram we see these before and after pictures of mom who gave birth and then mom the next day who has abs back again, you know? Oh yeah. And and then this whole 
shame storm happens and the self-loathing and all of those things that start to kick in. And then we want to like jump right back into the gym. I, I've learned, I've been learning lately that like to have a healthy relationship with movement is about moving your body and exercising out of a love and appreciation for your body. Right. Mm -hmm. And not out of a, I need to punish myself for the fact that I'm still up 30 pounds, but I just gave birth yesterday type of Mm -hmm. thinking. Right. And so when I start to even just myself with my own mindset around movement to keeping myself in check, it's like, why am I so determined to go for this run right now? You know, is it because Mm -hmm. I had cupcakes at my son's birthday party or is Mm -hmm. it because my body really, truly wants this and, you know, it's good for me to get out and get moving and it helps me with my stress and whatever. Yeah. And I love expanding the definition of movement too, because I think for so many of us, we have been programmed to think of, you know, movement as being in the gym and exercising and having like a caloric deficit. And for me, movement is maybe just taking a walk and noticing, you know, my nature and, or maybe movement is gardening or dancing in my house or playing and running around after my children or, um, you know, just sitting on the floor and just stretching my body out and lengthening it out and just really, you know, concentrating and, and connecting with my breath. So I've really just expanded my idea of fitness and movement to not think it has to be, you know, um, just this grueling, like, you know, you know, I'm, I'm dead afterwards and I'm laying on the ground cause I'm all sweaty because I, you know, put everything out there on the gym floor to, you know, really having, um, more compassion for my body and being gentle with my body on certain days, because it just feels better to be gentle than to, you know, grind it out in the gym. Right. Like you didn't do a good enough job at the gym that day. If you aren't like next to throwing up when you're like, you know what I mean? That's the, the, the extreme lengths we feel like we have to put our body through. And I'm telling you, as I'm postpartum, like three, three, after three babies, like you said, and I did it about three and a half years, my body just does not want to move the way that it did before three kids. And I have all these pelvic issues and it's just, it becomes more of like an abuse of my body, like a punishment than it does of a helpful, restorative taking care of, right? Absolutely. Right before I had my my first child, I was doing, um, triathlons and I actually was pregnant during my half Ironman and I didn't know I was pregnant. Oh my word. Yeah. And I kept wondering like, why do I have to keep peeing? Like, why do I have to keep going to the bathroom? And of course I was pregnant. And I loved that season of my life of, of training and being with a group of people and, you know, the swimming, the biking, the running, it was wonderful, but there's no way, there's just no way that I would ever have those expectations and put that back on my body at, in this season of my life. You know, I'm totally fine carrying that extra weight. I'm totally fine knowing that I'll probably maybe get in two miles if, if I really push myself and I don't even know if I want to run two miles compared to like the 13 miles I was, you know, training during that season. So it's, it's, it's just like shifting. I think for, you know, as moms, you know, it's, it's figuring out what makes sense for you in the season that you're in and allowing yourself to find that space to be really compassionate towards your body instead of feeling like you've got to criticize it in order to get the results you want. Instead, being much kinder and gentler with your body and working towards that gratitude is really the ultimate gift. As busy moms, the last thing we need is more on our to-do list. It's hard enough to remember who needs what packed for school, when the next doctor's appointment is, and when to register for events, let alone remembering to call and cancel subscriptions that drain your finances every month. That's why Rocket Money is so great. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. You can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you notice something that you don't want, Rocket Money can help you cancel it with a few taps. They even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com momwell. 
That's rocketmoney.com slash momwell. Feeding the family is one of the most all-consuming parts of the invisible load. Meal planning, shopping, trying to balance nutrition, finding the time to actually cook with little ones needing your focus and attention can be so stressful. But Factor makes it easy. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals take the mental load off your plate, providing pre-prepared, chef-crafted meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to select from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan plus veggie, and more. You can even choose from over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, including snacks and smoothies. With Factor, there's no prep and no mess. The meals are 100% ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. That means no cooking and no cleanup, which is great for busy moms. You can choose the schedule that works for you and your family. Choosing 6 to 18 meals per week and pausing or rescheduling your deliveries is quick and easy. Reclaim some time and reduce your mental load with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use the code momwell50 to get 50% off. That's code momwell50 at factormeals.com slash momwell50 to get 50% off. If your house is anything like mine, breakfast is the most frantic meal of the day. We all want to start the day off with a wholesome meal for our kids, but the time crunch makes it difficult. Magic Spoon helps relieve the morning rush with tasty cereals, high in protein for a great start to the day. Magic Spoon offers a variety pack with four delicious flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And it has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs per serving. Each Magic Spoon cereal is made with wholesome ingredients and no artificial flavors or dyes. And since it's gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free, it's great for a variety of dietary needs. Go to magicspoon.com slash momwell to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code MOMWELL at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund you your money, no questions asked. Try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momwell and use the code momwell to save $5. In prepping for this interview today, I was actually thinking about a memory that I had when I was like a young adult, let's say late teens, early 20s. I had signed up for a gym and I've been like in and out of the gym. Like, you know, it's the thing you're supposed to do. And so I was at the gym, I was signing up and I don't know what it's like everywhere else, but here they have you sit down with like someone who wants to sell you personal training at the gym, right? Yeah. Yep. And it's like this whole sales pitch. So they take your measurements, they take your weight, they do all this stuff. And so he had my measurements on a piece of paper, this like middle-aged man. And he is like, got my measurements down and he's talking about... Like, okay, your hips and your thighs inches can, let's be like, the goal will be this. And he's like, starts writing out the goals about the measurements that my body should be. Mm. Right. And then he's like, oh yeah. And your calves, you know, right now they're only 14 inches. Like we could work those up. Like we could get those to 16 inches, those calves. So we're going to put them at 16 inches. And he just starts dictating to me without even consulting me how my body should look and be built. Mm. And I was like, what the heck? You know? And at the time, like the feminist in me was just like, this is ridiculous. Like I'm not signing up for any of your services and whatever, whatever. But you don't realize the messages that you internalize over, you know, you get that message so many times by people, men, marketers, people who don't live in your body and have no idea what it's like, you know, to be in your body or whatever, who are dictating to you who and what you should be. So then when I discovered this intuitive eating, And the focus on self-compassion and all of these kind of psychology that it brings into it as well. It was just like so eye-opening to me. Like, wait a minute. 
where did these rules for ourselves even come from? Like fundamentally, where these expectations that I have for myself or that I see moms have for themselves and being very hard on themselves postpartum or even through pregnancy, weight gain, and how that really can mess with some people's heads. Like where where did we internalize these rules from? You know, me and some like middle-aged guy at the gym that I'll never see again and I really don't value or care about his opinion, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, first, you know, I'm so sorry that happened to you because it's, it's really oppressive. And, um, the, the medical field, um, you know, personal training, although I would hope that personal training would evolve, you know, here, um, you know, a lot of it is just based off, you know, really archaic information that no longer, you know, or not really never served us. So, you know, a lot of times individuals will be classified as obese or all based on the body mass index scale, which is, I call it the bullshit index scale. (laughs) Um, Because it's, it's, it was developed by an astronomer and um, he never meant for even it to be used the way that Western culture has adapted it. And so we, we, we don't take any information in about the person's genetics, about their bone structure, about their ethnicity, um, about their culture, um, when determining their body shape and size and what makes someone obese and what makes someone not obese. Um, so it's, it's, it's outdated. I mean, I I can't even believe that people use it. And, And I was just so upset when I found out that one of my clients who is a recovering, um, uh, anorexic and she was pregnant and she made it very clear to her OBGYN, do not, do not show me my, my number. Like, I don't want to know what my weight is. Um, and we were all very clear on it. She's got a whole team that, you know, she works with that are professionals helping her during this pregnancy because this was a really big deal for her. And she was doing so well. And she, you know, was really working through a lot of her body image issues, um, while being pregnant. Um, and one day the OBGYN told her her weight and she had gained maybe 20 pounds during her pregnancy. It was still kind of, you know, I think second trimester. And the the OBGYN said to her, you need to lose weight. You're gaining too much weight. Oh my word. I, (laughs) I, I, I like, I almost lost it. Like I had to really regulate myself because I, you know, my poor client. And then I was so angry at this OBGYN. And then in her waiting room, she had a poster of the, the body mass index scale with a pregnant woman next to it saying how much weight you should gain. I mean, it was just, it's horrible. It's, it's well, pregnant women face like this is a really common thing that people face, like even my provider. And like, I mean, I am in this society, I have my share of body image issues in the sense of like, I feel the pressure and I'm exposed to media and all of those things. Right. But I, like, I like to, like, I don't know, I have my days. Obviously, we all have our days. But I also can advocate for myself. And I'm a pretty straight shooter when it comes to my healthcare professionals and things like that as well. So, they are bringing up to me that I, oh, I'm surprised that you aren't struggling with gestational diabetes because of the ga- the weight that you've gained in your pregnancy. Wow. And I'm like, this is a healthcare provider and you have no idea who you may be saying these comments to, Right. you know? Right. So I feel like as I learn more about this need, especially amongst like pregnant and postpartum women, as that's like, you know, my audience, I really feel a sense of like having them advocate for themselves. My third pregnancy, because I just was so sick of having those conversations, I didn't allow anybody to weigh me. And if they absolutely had to, they did it where they didn't reveal it to me. And the really, I think the only time that they actually had to was when you're near the end of your pregnancy and like if you're going to go into labor sometime soon and you're going to need medications, they need to know your weight or whatever. But there are so many other ways for them to determine throughout your pregnancy, whether you're growing and your baby's developing or not, aside from sharing your weight and weight shaming you the whole way through. Right. Absolutely. And good for you. Good for you to advocate for yourself and set that boundary. And I think for us as women, we automatically assume that the medical professional knows better than we do. Right. Yeah. And, and that is something that I really tried to educate my clients on is that you are the consumer, right? right. So just like you are a consumer <clears throat> with people that you go get medical treatment from, you're also a consumer on your social media. 
So you can choose whether or not to follow whoever you follow. And if that person is causing you to feel disruptions in your feelings or your thoughts or your behavior, then you can unfollow. And we really, you have to empower yourself with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And really empowering, yeah, and empowering yourself with so many things. um, I think for women is, is really what I try to help women find within themselves. You know, um, you can say no. And I think for women, we really struggle with, with, allowing ourselves to say no. Yeah. And even knowing that, like, I don't know, knowing that we can, you know, like it, it wouldn't have occurred to me maybe as a first time mom to say, Hey, like, I don't like to have these conversations by my third time around. I was like, okay, I'm tired of having these conversations. I've been pregnant for three years. Like cut me some slack. You know what I mean? But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was really lucky because I had, I, I actually, my second child, I I could not keep the weight on. And that was terrifying for me that I wasn't able to put weight on. And it was an opposite. Like I felt like I wasn't a good mom. Like I wasn't a good pregnant mom because I wasn't able to keep the weight on. And it wasn't that I wasn't eating. I, my body just was, was like losing weight and um, during pregnancy, which terrified me. Um, and so my OBGYN was very, very supportive and helpful and just helping me and like moving away from the judgment and the criticism that I had, like what's wrong with my body. I can't even keep my weight up. Like I'm a horrible mom to, you know, your body is, is, is changing. It's going through a lot right now. There's stress in your life. You know, let's look at those environmental factors that are going on for you so that we can make sure that you know, you're resting and that you're taking time for yourself. So I actually had kind of a, a different experience. Um, and it, I'm so gl- really grateful that I had a wonderful OBGYN help me through that time because I had a lot of shame with myself about not being able to keep the weight on thinking like I'm a bad mom. Right. Right. I have a close friend who like, gain very like a fraction of the weight that she was supposed to gain. And it was her, I think it was her second or her third baby. And just the, the stress and responsibility she felt to, you know, do everything she could to make sure this baby was growing. Right. Like you can only do so much. You can only eat your Mm -hmm. meals and do like, there's, there's only so much you can do. Right. So yeah, man, the weight and responsibility we carry as moms. Mm -hmm. Hey, I know. I know. So for moms pregnant or postpartum or any women listening, really, um, how can we start today to improve our body image and heal that relationship with ourselves? One of the things that uh, I think I saw you had mentioned, and I don't know, I've been doing so much research in this area now, I'm getting all my sources because I mumble, but is like, that you have to restore trust with yourself, right? Around mm-hmm. food and around movement. And I was like, whoa, what does that, like, what does trusting yourself even mean? So I don't know if that's what you would say in terms of a piece of the puzzle, but in terms of steps or ways to start, how do we embrace ourselves? How do we improve our body image? Yeah. So one of the steps that I teach in my body image course is, is learning to trust yourself again. So listen and respond. So listen and respond is really the foundation of reestablishing body trust. Um, so so there's so many times where, um, maybe we're full and we're told, well, make sure you finish everything on your plate. Um, if we are hungry and we say, okay, I'm not going to eat instead, I'm just going to drink some more water. Um, or if I'm, um, I'm full and I'm like, but that dessert sounds so good. Or instead of eating, I'm going to chew gum or, um, I am only going to allow myself to eat half of what I'm eating. Um, so we have all these, um, things that we say to ourselves or, um, behaviors that we, we execute that really disrupt, um, our trust with our bodies because our body is communicating to us. It's saying, Hey, I'm hungry. I need to eat. And if I'm hungry and I need to eat and I'm only giving it water, I'm betraying its trust. I'm, I'm not giving it what it's asking for and needing. So just like a a friend of a friend says, you know, I really need you to keep this a secret between us. And I go ahead and tell somebody else I'm betraying her trust 
right? But we don't think of it that way with our bodies, but we can definitely identify it with our friendships. So when we are listening and responding, we then have to give our bodies what it's asking us for. So if our body is really wanting something that's fun to eat, like a cheeseburger or I don't know, a taco or burrito or something like, then that's what I'm going to have tonight for dinner. I'm not going to give myself a salad because that's what I think I should be eating. Right. And I'm also going to honor my hunger. So if my body is like, Hey, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat no matter if it's lunch, if it's outside the lunch or dinner or, you know, you know, breakfast time, like when, with my children, if they want a snack, and they're hungry, they're going to get a snack. It's, mm-hmm. it's not, just because they ate lunch doesn't mean like they're not going to be hungry again. Their metabolism could be really kicking in or they could be growing or they could just be really wanting something to eat that they were thinking about. I mean, for whatever reason it is, I'm going to honor that for my children. And so that's what I teach individuals is to listen to your body and respond and respond in a way that's loving and caring Um, and that's compassionate and nurturing, not one that's critical, judgmental. Well, you shouldn't be eating right now because you just had lunch or you shouldn't be hungry right now because you, you know, it's, it's in the evening time. Um, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, I tend to eat more, uh, you know, late at night. That's usually when I'm, you know, I'm stuck. No, I'm emotionally eating at night. Well, let's think about what's going on at night for you that's probably the only time of day that you allowed yourself to not be doing something to distract yourself from your emotions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, typically we, you know, a person might be working or they're busy with their children. And so they haven't had a chance to just spend time with themselves. And especially as a, as a new mom, I mean, you don't have time for yourself. You are, you're constantly focused on your children. You're lucky to even maybe get, you know, a shower um, and so a lot of moms will be late night eating and, you know, they're sitting maybe in front of a TV and it's more of a mindless activity. And so I never tell somebody, no, don't eat. If you're hungry, eat. And let's also pay attention to what else is going on. Right. So while you're eating or after you're eating, or maybe before you're eating, you, you can choose the time period journal about what's going on for yourself. Check in, like, how are you doing? Just like you would ask a friend, like, how are you doing? Really check in with yourself and experience any thoughts or feelings that are coming up for you. That doesn't mean you have to take the food away, right? That just means you're adding something in. So oftentimes when we are trying to change behavior, we make the mistake of trying to remove something. We use negative reinforcement. So For instance, um, a child does something like they got a bad grade in a class. And so a parent will say, okay, well, no no more cell phone. And they'll take the phone away. Well, that's negative reinforcement. And typically, a child's not going to improve their course or their grade in that course without having their phone. They may, but that's not usually what we see with research. We have to add positive reinforcement. We have to add something in. So maybe I'm going to add a tutor or maybe I'm going to add time for 30 more minutes where I can sit down with my child and review their homework to make sure that they are, you know, learning the properties of their math class. Right. So the same thing, like let's let add in connection to your thoughts and feelings, because as moms, we are not connected to ourselves because we're taking care of others. So that's what I would say to someone who's struggling with emotional eating, maybe at night or mindless eating or, that's usually when they're eating the most is okay. That's fine. But let's, let's make sure let's check in with yourself during that time. Tune in with what you really need, right? Like maybe you do need to eat because you've been restricting all day because you've been on your feet and you haven't even had, you know, your cup of coffee, let alone a warm meal. So maybe it is food that your body needs, or maybe there's another need there. Right. And I, Maybe it's soothing. Right. Yeah, it's really soothing to eat because there's two ways that when we are growing up that children can soothe themselves uh, on a readily basis. And that's food and, you know, sex or masturbation. So those are the two ways that as children, when things are chaotic and or there's, or if there's trauma or conflict, how we can soothe ourselves, those are the two most readily available resources. So we soothe ourselves through food. So it tastes good to eat 
I don't know, whatever, chips, salsa. I mean, it doesn't really make a difference of what, because the dopamine, the neurotransmitter in the, in your brain, which is responsible for pleasure is getting hit, is getting that satisfaction, is getting that stimulation. So if, if in, during your day, your dopamine's not getting hit because you're exhausted, you're sleep deprived, you're nursing, you're changing diapers, you're running everywhere, you know, trying to, you know, do laundry, but it's, you're never getting caught up or the dishes are still there, even though you just put the dishes in the dishwasher. Like it's just, it's mayhem. So the moment the kids are able to fall asleep, you know, that's your time to try to soothe yourself. And so food is a very readily available resource to soothe ourselves, to hit that dopamine. And that's typically what happens. And that's where people struggle. And I listened to another podcast interview that you had done where you had linked comfort and food from like the moment we're born. Can you break that down a little bit? Yeah. So people always think that emotional eating is a bad thing and it's, it's not, it's, it's how we're brought into this world. So the moment you have a baby, what's the first thing that you do? You give it food. It's the first thing they do. They take the baby out of you. They place it right onto your, uh, onto your chest and you are, you know, hoping they latch. Right. And if they don't, then you get the formula, but either way you are, you know, giving your body or giving your baby food and you're loving your baby. That's when your oxytocin, your hormone for the bonding hormone is at its like highest and so you're nurturing your baby, you're loving your baby, you're holding it. I mean, it's it's just, it's like the most beautiful experience, right? Mm-hmm. And we, that's emotional eating right then and there. The, the baby is receiving this message. I am loved and I'm loved through my food and nurturance and in my mother's arms. And so emotional eating is what we all do it's always going to be part of our experience with life. If there's a death, what do you do? You bring food over. If you've just had a baby, what do you do? You bring a meal over for your friend. If there's a birthday, what do you do? You celebrate with cake and ice cream and cupcakes. You know, it's foods all around us and every milestone at every celebration or loss. And, and then we, we, we punish people. We criticize people for being emotional eaters. Mm-hmm. It, it makes no sense. Well, yeah. And like when I have this conversation with people about like just sort of friends informally, because I'm by no means an expert at this point, but have this conversation about intuitive eating and this whole like trusting your body, trusting your hunger cues, your fullness, you know, all of those things. They're like, but there's no way. Like I will just eat everything in sight, you know, like I can't have that Mm -hmm. in my house. And there's this idea like I'm never going to stop eating. And I have a lot of opinions on that, like that have been forming. But number one, you never want to stop eating. Like your body will cease to exist if you stop eating. Like it's, it's, you're always going to be hungry again, you know? Uh, That's one of the things. And then two is this whole idea of when we restrict, right? Then all we think about are these uh, like good and bad foods. I feel like this is a whole nother can of worms that we're opening up. It could be a whole other topic, right? So when it comes to this idea that I'm never going to stop eating or, I, or there's no way that I could trust my body, what do you have to say to those types of comments? Well, so I, I hear it all the time, you know, with, you know, there's, I think when we're talking about intuitive eating and uh, women and men are like, well, you know, I can't have those foods around me because I will just, I'll never stop. Um, I validate that. Because yes, that would make sense. Um, if you've been depriving yourself from this food, your your body's going to want it and then some. And the reason it wants it and then some is because of the law of scarcity. So the law, the 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 food that's the most addictive is the one we don't allow ourselves to have. That's the one that we binge on. That's the one that we we crave because of the scarcity. We tell ourselves, well, it's not available. So we want what we want, right? And we want what we can't have. So if you tell me I can't get that guy, I'm going to do everything I can to get that guy. If you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to work my butt off to make sure that I do get it because we want what we can't have. And that's the same thing. It's the principles also apply to food. So the food that's the most addictive is the one that we tell ourselves we can't have. But if we make it readily available, guess what? It loses its appeal. The brain doesn't think that it's going away. And then the law of scarcity is, doesn't exist. 
So I know, I mean, I've worked with people who as when they were children, you know, their parents were very health conscious and they didn't, you know, were super afraid of Johnny or Samantha, you know, like not eating healthy. You know, we only had like healthy food in their homes. And then you, you wind up seeing Johnny like binging at his friend's house and all like the, you know, uh, the cookies and the, the ice cream and the chips and things like the soda, because, you know, it's the law of scarcity. Mm. And so what do they do when they are adults? They'll binge on the food and they won't keep it in their home because they don't trust themselves to be okay around it. It's so interesting. And I've I've been working on that a lot with my son because he'll say, is this a healthy food? And like that whole app that came out as a whole other story with, oh, gosh, with kids yes. and diet <laughs> and body image. Yes. Um, yeah. But I try and tell him, like, I'm trying to normalize it. Like these are snacks that we're allowed to have sometimes. And I'm trying to like, because he is very like black and white. He likes to know the rules and all of that, right? Trying to normalize it for him as well. And, and and watch how, as parents, we like our language and how we shape these things for our kids as well. Yeah, and it's 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 hard because there's no manual. Totally. You know, there's no manual. And I think you know, with parents, you know, with 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 you know, with moms, um, you know, we're we're so trying to do the right thing, right? We're so trying to to be perfect in that sense um, to make sure our kids are growing and thriving and getting what they need with their food. Um, and it's funny cause we don't, in my home, we don't use the word healthy. Um, and so we just don't, it's not a word I ever say. And, um, my daughter who's seven, she asked the other day, something like, is this healthy? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. What's, what's, what is healthy? And she was like, well, you know, food that's, you know, good for you. I'm like, well, does it taste good? And she's like, yeah, I'm like, well, then I guess it's good for you. Mm. You know, so I mean, I just don't bring attention to it. I don't have, I mean, I, again, I'm, I'm kind of, this is my world. So I'm really dialed into this. So, um, I don't have a full length mirror in my home. Uh, And I mean, it's, it's uh, my husband just, just asked me last week. He's like, can we please have a a mirror in our closet? Like I need to see how I look (laughs) for work. And I'm like, fine, fine. Um, I don't have magazines come to my house. Um, none. Like there's no magazines. If there's a catalog, it goes into the trash. Um, um, I'm trying to think what else. I have foods of all, you know, nutrients, lacking nutrients, uh, you know, calorie, low calorie. I mean, I do not, no food is off limits. If my children want something, they can have it. If they don't want it, that's fine too. Um, and it's funny because my three-year-old, um, the other night I was like, um, buddy, do you want some dessert? He's like, I'm good. Yeah. And I mean, what, what child doesn't want like ice cream or cookies? And he's like, I'm fine, mom. I'm full. Yeah. I'm like, I'm doing uh, a good job. So, you know, good. so that. good. Yeah. But it's, you know, I'm more, I mean, this is, I'm probably more the extreme than some people when it comes to just taking that, that focal point off of it. You well, know, like I just. Those triggers to like with moms who are postpartum and they are trying to fit into clothes that's too small. And every day that's a trigger for them that their body still isn't the way that it once was, right? Or like the full length mm-hmm. mirror, like you said, like there are certain things that we can practically do to make our day go more smoothly and not expose ourselves to these triggers that are going to kick up all of this shame for us, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have a couple? So there was a couple. There was a like the full length mirror. Obviously, all foods are open for you at your house. I would say like also the like buy clothes that fits you. Just do yourself a favor and get yourself some clothes that fits. It doesn't matter about the size. Like I would still live in my maternity pants if they would stay up because they were the comfiest thing ever, you know. Uh, get some- I agree with yeah, you. I, exactly. I was trying to turn my jeans and my maternity jeans into regular. I'm like, is there a company that can take these and put like a button so I can wear them? Because these are the most amazing jeans ever. I t- I, I loved my maternity jeans. Yeah. So um, yeah, no, I feel you. And, and I agree. If you, if you have the financial resources to be able to um, you know, find some, just some basic solid pieces that you can mix and match that are, you know, where your body needs to be right now, then do it. Um, you know, you don't need to have that high school body. I mean, why, I mean, I, I think again, if we're attached to our body looking a certain way during a certain year of our life, that's about our ego, 
So I would explore what was going on during that time in your life that you're attached to your body in that, in that year. Like, I don't want to look like I'm in high school. Mm. I don't, I don't want my body to look like it's in high school or college or even in my twenties. Like I'm really, honestly, I'm 39. I'm in the last year of my thirties and I am so excited to go into my forties. I, I, I'm really, I mean, I I think that's probably odd for, you know, maybe a woman, you know, to say, because women don't ever say how old they are, but I'm, it's like when you age, you start to take care of yourself. Mm. Like the focus comes back to you again. And I, I love that. And it doesn't mean that the focus isn't on my children and my husband. It's just like, I'm now in that equation. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to, um, you know, detach and, and not have my worth, um, be focused on how I look. I mean, I always say it's like the least interesting thing about me, um, because my, my, my physical appearance was so much a focal point growing up for me. Um, and I, and I don't want that. I want it to be about my, you know, my ability to serve my community, my ability to, um, you know, use my intelligence and my education and my training, um, my philanthropy work, my faith, my relationship with God, you know, obviously being a, a, a best mom, you know, wife that I can be those, those are what make me, me not, I didn't earn my, my looks. I, I just, it's just how I was born. Oh, so Good. I am just here for all of this. It's just like hitting me so deep. I love it. I know that this will be so valuable to the listeners. And I feel like we just need to do a quick roundup of all your one-liners that are still my favorite. So (laughs) there is. So we've got that healing starts from the inside out right? Mm -hmm. We do not heal by trying to punish our body into a body that may not even be meant for us. Right. So we've got, exactly. We've got fat is not a feeling friends. So if you're telling yourself you feel fat today, what are you really feeling? What's really going on for you? Right. Right. You would never say like, I feel so blue eyed, you know, I I feel so left-handed. I feel so, um, five, four, I'm five, four. Um, you would never say that. Right. right? So it, it, that's like the same premise. So I feel sad. I feel happy. I feel frustrated. I feel discouraged, you know, really get in touch more with your feelings. Right. And another one that comes to my mind too, is that we are not fat. We have fat, right? Like fat mm-hmm. is a thing on our body, just like mm-hmm. our skin is on our body or our hair is on our body. And we do not define ourselves by those other things on our body, right? Right. So exactly. Like body, we have toenails. Yes, yeah. Exactly. I wouldn't say I, I, I feel so toenail. Right. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> I feel so brunette today. Like, no, it's not, right. it's not right. a thing. So like what what really makes up who you are? What really defines you? What value do you add to the world? You know, the relationships and the meaning that you have with other people. What type of values do you have as a person or like as a mom? What type of mom do you want to be? And like, these are the things that truly define us. And when we talk about shaping our body image and our identity and having a guiding compass, having those values, having that identity that goes beyond just appearance is the remedy. You know, it is the Mm -hmm. soothing balm that takes all of those aches away, right? Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. I think that this has been such a valuable conversation and I'm sure I will be having you back at some point to dive deeper into some of these topics. So thank you so much. Oh my goodness. Thank you for having me. I hope that, you know, your listeners are able to get some good nuggets out of this one. And I really appreciate um, the opportunity to be here. So thank you. Okay. Seriously. How amazing was that conversation? Every time that I read something from Dr. Morgan or I speak to her, my mind is just completely blown. And I just wanted to take a moment to mention to you that Dr. Morgan has a course called Bye Bye Body Blame. And she's generously offered any of the listeners of my podcast 20% off this course if you want to you know, work on those things like body trust. We were talking about body respect and body image, your values, all of those things. 
So the coupon code for your 20% off of her course is bye bye 20. So B Y E B Y E 20. And that will get you 20% off of her bye bye body blame body image course. So make sure you go check it out. And again, thank you so much. As always, I'm so happy and grateful that I can share this space with you. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Quick question for you. Have you joined our Facebook community yet? If you head to facebook.com slash group slash happy as a mother, you can join our private community connect with like-minded, supportive moms. If you're looking for any of the resources that were discussed in today's episode, you can head on over to our show notes. All the links to the resources and all the contact information for our amazing guests will be there. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss a single episode. And if you can't wait until the next episode to connect with me, I'll be hanging out over on Instagram at underscore happy as a mother. I'll see you right back here for the next episode. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.